You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. My guest today is Dr. Ophelia Virach, an award-winning consultant dermatologist. Dr. Ophelia boasts an impressive CV that has seen her going from studying medicine in London to then completing a PhD at a Nobel Prize-winning stem cell laboratory in Japan. Dr. Feely holds influential positions in academia and the skincare industry, all while delivering private care at a Harley Street clinic in London. Dr. Ophelia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, I got to say your, your CV is, is just so hugely impressive that we could, I could interview you for an hour alone on uh, your time management and your productivity tips, but, I, but I'm delighted that you're here today to talk all things uh, skin and hair health related things. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to start off perhaps with the skin, uh, if we can, because I watched a video of you in which you said that a consultation with you, if a patient comes in for a consultation with you, you said that it's often described as quite an experience as you uh, you spend a lot of time with a patient focusing on things like how their uh, uh, condition is affecting the quality of their life. And mm. for instance, in my own life, I had terrible acne in my late teens and it, it definitely knocked my confidence. Um, mm. So I wonder... You know, what link do you see between, for instance, like skin issues and perhaps mental health? Oh, so there's a huge impact with with any skin issue, particularly chronic ones, um, and and mental health. When we see it all the time, so if if someone's suffering with acne or psoriasis, uh, eczema, it's, you know, it's it's going to affect how they feel about themselves, whether they feel confident to kind of go out or be in relationships and you know it it, it has a huge impact on you know how they do at work there's some data to show that it affects um you know people getting promotions and things like that so it affects every aspect of life and I think that's quite important to assess in the consultation as well because patients often need extra help with that I had no skin troubles at all until I turned about 17 and then I don't know what happened between 17 to 21, but it just went horrific. I started getting these terrible spots. Um, and yeah, and it, and it did. It really, really knocked my confidence. I even, I was trying things like, and obviously I'm, I'm not knocking any men that wear makeup, but I was even trying wearing things like concealer. I was trying, uh, I was going on things like sunbeds to try to dry my skin mm-hmm. out. All things that we, we now know are, are kind of problematic, but I just saw myself that like, it just had a huge, huge confidence like impact. Did you get treatment for your I didn't. I just I was afraid of going to a doctor to, to speak to anyone about it. I just suffered for way longer than I needed to. Um, mm. And that was kind of my downfall, I think. It, I prolonged it for years, and I had made mm. terrible mistakes with my skin. Um, is that common at all, people not speaking about it, though? Yeah, and, and increasingly, so um, it's difficult for your average patient to get appointments with their GPs and then referrals towards dermatology services uh, are difficult and, and long. There are less than 500 consultant dermatologists in this country, so access to proper dermatology um, advice and care is is limited. And so uh, I'm increasingly seeing, which causes a lot of problems, people turning as as with everything in life now to social media and getting bad advice wrong advice and going around in circles and um you know the beauty industry is thriving because of it but a lot of the things that are out there are nonsense so it creates a problem and that when people try things that they've been told by these influencers and companies that will work and then it doesn't work that that can really knock people's confidence because they get this expectation that um you know oh i've uh, 
I've got these spot patches and, you know, that they're going to cure my acne because, you know, someone on TikTok has been using them and, and they work and it's just that's not the reality. And then you feel really rubbish and then move on to the next next kind of gimmick. When I was, like, going through that, that like, time period, one of the things that I was very afraid of, um, I was very afraid about jumping on, for instance, medication. Yeah. Um, because I'd like heard from friends at the time, and this was also going back like maybe ten years ago. And mm-hmm. I, if I remember correctly, I think that the common course would be something like uh, roaccutane, which I think is very mm-hmm. uh, widely prescribed for um, for acne. And I was going through um, like just like in preparation for this, I was like going through like the like um, just like researching it. And for instance, this this is what I read. For instance, in America, for roaccutane, you have to sign paperwork to promise that you won't get pregnant. You have to take a monthly yeah. pregnancy test to prove that you're not pregnant. And when I was yeah. searching through on Twitter, people were saying like that it was shrinking the size of their nose. It was giving chap lips associated with mental health problems. What is the kind of truth about that drug in terms of? treating acne where'd you kind of come on that yeah i mean it's it's a really good drug at definitively treating people with bad acne um however it's it's not the only treatment option and i think back in the day dermatologists would kind of give it out very freely it's always been quite tightly regulated monthly visits and um if you're a woman uh, monthly re- pregnancy tests and then you know you we need to see the patients every month particularly to check on their mental health issues because there have been um you, you know it's a, it's a slightly controversial area but it, it you know there have been a number of suicides of patients who have been on it um and, and so obviously that has to be taken seriously um there are a lot of side effects to it but there are other treatments for acne that also work really well and it's the vast minority of patients with bad acne that need raracutane. So, for instance, there are really good topical treatments now. I make um, prescription acne medications. Um, you know, with the, the topical form of raracutane also um, is effective in as a serum, um, and you can combine it with antibiotics and salicylic acid and all sorts of other ingredients, which we never really used to be able to do. And you've got all sorts of laser treatments. Um, and for women in particular, there's a medication called spiralactone, which has an anti-testosterone effect. And that's really good for hormonal acne. Men can't take it. But there are lots of other options out there. And, um, yeah, we probably, I mean, I personally have, have, I used to have clinics full of patients with raracutane. I hardly ever prescribe it now because I use all these other things I've just discussed. So, yeah, it's it. It, it's it's a controversial area, but it's it it's a good medication, particularly for boys with bad acne. Sometimes you've got no no choice but to but, but to prescribe it. And I suppose there is kind of a trade off there because with many medicines, they may have no negative effects, but they may also have no positive effects. I see this so, so common in the supplement industry. You know, people say, "Oh, you know this." this magic supplement it, it, you know it won't do you any damage but the chances are it also won't do you any positive thing so so there is a kind of a trade-off there um but what you were saying there is that now there are many many other very positive alternatives to for instance to acutane that you use yeah you know things like treatments chemical peels laser treatments there are other medications as well that can be taken for acne and in terms of acne what do we know about, for instance, what causes it? There's quite a few different factors that are involved in acne. There's a there's a hormonal drive to it. Um, at the base of your pores, you have these oil-producing sebaceous glands. They're quite sensitive to testosterones and progesterones that circulate in our bodies. That's why people you, you can get acne in 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 babies even but you know it tends to be more prevalent in teenagers and upwards and um so it's quite hormonally driven but also um if you think the opening of the pore if that gets blocked by heavy makeup and build up of sebum 
that can also so kind of heavy makeup wearers and you know dusty environments that that can all cause breakouts um the 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 the, the role that diet plays is probably overspoken about there might be some trigger factors like dairy and gluten but uh, you know and processed sugars and things but that's that's very minor and I think if you exclude those out your diet you're not going to cure your acne um but it's an easy one for people to write about and talk about um so there's a variety of different um genetics as well yeah and I would kind of love to just ask you about something you mentioned so in terms of makeup if someone comes to your clinic and they've got very bad acne and they're going through Mm -hmm. you know one of your treatment plans which are obviously very effective are you telling them to stop wearing makeup altogether? Or how are you kind of approaching that one? Well, I, I get to know my patients quite well. So I'd, I'd want to know what they do for work, if how public facing they are, um, you know, what's going on with their, their social lives as well. And I, I do try to encourage people not to wear heavy makeup. Um, and I do go through that with all my female patients. And if 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 women do need some kind of coverage, you know, I've that you can get these powder compacts and you can put them on with bright. You can get quite you can give an illusion of coverage with that. But I, I, I try to avoid avoid against the kind of liquid thick foundation and concealers that can further occlude the pores and make it worse. But but sometimes people need it to be able to give themselves the confidence to go out. But definitely, as I see my patients for follow-ups, the ones that tend to wear really heavy makeup, as their skin gets better, you'll see that they'll start wearing less and less makeup. I'm a bit of an anti-makeup. Yeah, it does. It, it can cause problems. Yeah, I, I love that. And in terms of like other lifestyle factors, you know, I'm I'm curious because you mentioned that like perhaps diet is overspoken about and and i remember you know even at the time when when i had my own battles with acne i remember people would say things to me like you're just not drinking enough water you know and all this kind of kind of other stuff and you'd think i am drinking plenty of water um and what about like other lifestyle factors like i don't know pillows like sleep Uh, what what are some of the other perhaps risk factors there i think the the two other biggest ones are, are smoking and alcohol so those kind of lifestyle factors, can, particularly smoking, has a very strong linkage with with acne and folliculitis and any of the skin disorders which are caused by what we call a follicular occlusion. So if you stop stop smoking, that if you do smoke, that will also um, help with the acne. And also people can get flares after if they've been binge drinking and things like that. Why would smoking do that? What's the mechanism? Is it drying the skin out? Or what, what's going on there? It just exacerbates. Um, it, you know, it's it's occlusive in 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 some ways. I think it's the actual smoke. So um, people often, you know, if they get the tube to work, um, that that you get quite a lot of build up on the skin. And I think you know, if you smoke as well, it's You've, you've got a lot of particles that can kind of occlude the openings of those pores that get blocked and it's, it's got something to do with that but there is a strong strong correlation between the two i would love to ask you um perhaps moving away from the the face temporarily to the back uh because this was a, com- yeah. uh, a question that we had a few people ask about um i think particularly for men if they've gone through for instance a course of anabolic steroids uh, you hear many people say that they suffer with something called bacne, uh, mm. which I've become more and more familiar with after announcing you were, you were coming on the show. What What is going on here? And, you know, I, I, have you seen it clinically and how are you kind of going about treating that? Yeah, it's, it's fairly common. A lot of patients with acne on their face will also have acne on their chest and backs. It's um, very for men, it's very testosterone sensitive as well. So if there are, you mentioned patients on anabolic steroids, there's a strong correlation with that because the sebaceous glands have got testosterone receptors on them. So that makes them this, the oil activity increase when you're taking these anabolic steroids. Um, if people are doing a lot of exercise, if they're wearing 
kind of going to the gym a lot and wearing kind of synthetic materials tight on the skin that that can kind of further block the openings of the pores and cause inflammation um and and you can get quite bad, bad scarring with it as well and um you know it can really affect people's confidence and you know it's important to ask does it stop you going swimming and and kind of you know walking around you know without your top on and things like that people can get really self-conscious about it and it can impact what they would and wouldn't do on holiday for instance we treat it in much the same way as we treat facial acne right that's 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 really good to know and and i'm curious because you mentioned like the sex hormones they like for instance testosterone um you know, I had, a, I had a conversation with with a friend yesterday, and uh, oh, sorry, not yesterday, last week, and she was telling me that her boyfriend he does nothing for his skin. She said he rolls out of bed in the morning, throws some water on it, does nothing else. And she said he, in her eyes, she said the guy's got perfect skin, never has any breakouts, never does anything like that. And she said that in her own life, she said she's got you know a a very expensive skincare routine and has much much worse skin. Are there, for instance, sex differences in terms of are men or women more prone to acne? Because I've heard this kind of stereotype that men really do nothing for their skin. Um, I'm curious, are there kind of any differences there at all? No, both men and women can get acne. Um, Women can get more hormonal breakouts related to their um, periods. Uh, men tend to get the more kind of constant acne but they can get very very severe cystic acnes um but it's interesting what you said about your friends comparison it's not so much the comparison about being a man and a woman it's it's more about um expensive skincare regimes with women and it's it's a really tricky one but if you ask any dermatologist we don't we don't spend a lot of money on our skincare and we don't do much as well because it's it's the luxury skincare products that are often not very good for your skin I mean it's it's quite interesting if you go to the beauty halls in Harrods for instance and look at some of these products and I'm a real you know doing what I do for a living I just look at the ingredients and you can have creams for hundreds of pounds and you look at the ingredients and it's just like well there's nothing in this that is going to be doing what you know this famous actress and is 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 saying on the adverts that it, it does for your skin it's just you know the majority of those kinds of brands come from the same five factories in the world and including the cheaper brands as well and it's just a matter of packaging and branding and um yeah it's 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 a real con because you wouldn't get these products marketed for men um they'd get into trouble but the beauty industry is kind of founded on on the assumption that women are stupid and they they'll pay anything to kind of think that they're using buying this cream for a few hundred pounds is going to make them look better and some of the patients that I have when they first came to me with the worst skin were these kinds of women who had like ridiculous 10-step skincare regimes and were spending a huge amount on their skincare. You very rarely have people with really good skin who who have who've kind of bought into that that cycle of skincare products. Wow. So what you're saying, Billy, I guess, is the first real practical tip for our audience, which is that the more expensive the product doesn't necessarily mean that it works better than the you know off-the-shelf standard products that we can get like more expensive doesn't mean better is that what i'm inferring almost the opposite almost the opposite because it's the it's the luxurious products that are packed full of fragrances and preservatives that can be really bad for the skin whereas your more basic simple skincare products um you know tend to just you know for instance for cleansers and moisturizers, as an example, I'll recommend you know Simple Brand from Boots or CeraVe or Cetraban. These are all kind of very inexpensive things that you can that, that you can buy um, at any pharmacist, and they're 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 just as good as as using any of the kind of more expensive um, 
brands, actually, they're, they're probably much better. The beauty industry is obviously enormous. Um, I was looking on Statista.com this morning, and it says that it's worth $579 billion in 2023. And I think there's so much confusion out there. Uh, you know, what products to use, which treatments to take, pseudo practitioners, social media influencers selling products that, you know, people think that's how they got their skin when it's probably not. Um, and they're getting paid enormous amounts to promote products. So why is there so much perhaps confusion in this space? And I guess how do people kind of sift through that? <laughs> Can I say what I think? <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's a, big, it's a big industry, and and you know, men and women will, will, you know, it's about it's about that link between skin and mental health, and thinking that if you buy X Y Z, your skin will be good, and then you'll feel better, and you know, wonderful things will happen in your life. And I think the industry kind of pivots. Um, a lot within those realms but um the, the the truth is is that most beauty brands and most informational social media is is not put together by people who really know anything about skin for instance i from from med school to becoming a consultant dermatologist was 18 years of training for me loads of exams and you know it's crazy the amount of there are about three or four thousand different skin conditions you need to know about to pass our board exams and you've got none of that was taught at medical school none of that was taught as a junior doctor but you've got all of these medics who are unhappy with what they're doing who are leaving medicine and they're sat at home making videos developing huge followings um a lot of a lot of brands that are doctor brands actually you you know that I, I can't name names but you'd be really surprised and, and they'd have everybody believing that they were dermatologists and they're not so you've got a lot of people in the media pretending that they're dermatologists you've got a lot of beauty brands out there who are definitely not founded by dermatologists but what they will do is they will you know do the odd thing here and there and get a doctor to say you know this works this is really good and and it's very misleading to the public um so you know i i hope in time things will change but but unfortunately the the people who are very knowledgeable about skin we're in a minority we're very very busy my colleagues you know I I do these things because I feel that that instead of laughing about what gets said in the media, we need to contribute the correct information. But most of my colleagues are not like that. They've got really busy clinics. They're they're kind of happy in their own practices, and they don't want to get involved in this world because it's it's really quite frankly horrible um, to have to. And beauty journalists, beauty journalists have a responsibility to try and understand what the truth is. But you've got you know, top tier publications where their beauty and cosmetic guides, you know, they're, they'll be so thick and they might have one or two dermatologists or actual plastic surgeons within these guides, but it's all, it's all about advertorials, about the individuals paying to be in these guides. And they'll have, you know, lists of top dermatologists and maybe only one out of the 10 will actually be a dermatologist. I mean, as, as a beauty editor, for very famous publications, you would expect that they know that, but you know it's 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 a very dirty world. And do we need, you know, for instance, in this field, is there the need for things like perhaps stronger regulations? Because, for instance, with um, things like people promoting skincare products or hair care products. You you never it's it's quite difficult to know on the um mm. you know on the outset what qualification someone has. It's really difficult to kind of actually do the digging. You just see someone that is good looking yeah. and you go, perfect, that's what I want. Um yeah. so it do you think that perhaps there does need to be more regulation there? 
Well, there are discussions at the moment about increasing the regulations in the aesthetic industry in the UK. Um, but, you know, the whole word aesthetics is, is a made-up specialty. It doesn't exist. The General Medical Council in the UK doesn't recognise aesthetics. as There's no specialty training. So anyone, you know... Whether they're a doctor or even not a doctor, you can you can you can be anyone, and um, you can do you know short courses, and you know as a medic you can do a course in Botox and you know which is half a day, and then you can start you know start posting on Instagram. You've got a huge following. You've got really busy practice, and no one knows that you haven't really done any extra. You know, you're not really a specialist in that field, but you've got people coming to see you about your skin. It's so. So this in America, for instance, you're not allowed to do injectables if you're not a dermatologist or a plastic surgeon. In some parts of Europe, you can only inject fillers if you're a dermatologist, for instance. Whereas in this country, you've got anyone can do it. They're trying to tighten up on that. But the problem is the the aesthetics industry is largely ruled by unruly medics who are not specialised in anything and they, they want to protect their turf. So, um, you know, so at the moment it's been in the news a lot. But it, it's really interesting. I've been looking at the people that they've invited onto, you know, this morning and various different TV and radio channels. They're not inviting the actual specialists in skin or plastic surgery. They're inviting these aesthetic doctors who have got no qualifications to actually be talking about skin. So um, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to regulate. And I think that if they do regulate it properly... As you've mentioned about the finances, so many people will go out of business. What do you see as the biggest scam or source of people getting ripped off in the aesthetic industry? Collagen supplements. Oh, <laughs> elaborate. Because I, I t- is this a controversial point? Because I know a lot of people promote them. No, 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 no. So all... All dermatologists and, um, you know, proper doctors within those fields agree with this about the collagen supplements. It's it's a, it's a joke, but it's it's funny to hear every time about how 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 well they do, and you get patients coming to you all the time saying that they're taking them. And I've tried everything; nothing's worked. What have you tried? I'm on the collagen supplements. I'm on biotin. I'm on. Well, you haven't really tried anything that's worked. Like, who says use use them? Um, so, so as you get older, we lose collagen in our skin, and that's that's what that loss of volume is. What makes us look older? But um, by drinking it, and even if it's small pieces of collagen, which they're marketing now, is because it used to be that the collagen was so big it didn't get absorbed. Now they're making them with real, really small pieces of collagen, so they do get absorbed. But that doesn't – and most of these collagen supplements come from – you can get some vegan one and plant-based ones, but most of them are ground-up farm animals of some sort. And um, – so you know we, we eat collagen in our in our daily diets every day anyway. But um, even if you absorb them, it doesn't make it into our own skin's stem cell cycling. So it doesn't ever contribute to the collagen that we make in our our own skin. So there's a there's a host of very rare genetic conditions. Um, called epidermolysis bullosa, where patients are born with mutations where they don't produce their own collagen. And it, it's it's a very severe disease and life expectancy is very short. But, you know, if they drink collagen, it doesn't cure their disease. So it's, it's essentially very expensive supplements that goes in one end and goes out the other. It's not going to do you any harm. But the problem that I have is that these companies are very misleading um you know i've had tussles online with a few of them recently i don't know whether you've seen but you know i let i let the companies up and i'm like who's founded the company 
And it's just like no qualifications at all. And, you know, one of them even had in their profile, like mother of four. Like, what does that even mean? Like, what qualifications is that? And it's normally like white middle class women who've got wealthy husbands and they want to do something to make it's really easy to make a beauty brand. You you know, you just need to go to one of these factories um, and be like, I want to buy that product and put it into this packaging. And you've got you've got a product and then, you know, use somebody else's money to kind of market it. And it's really easy to sell because um, but they're expensive and they're misleading to patients who've actually got genuine skin and hair problems. So that's why I have to have long consultation times, particularly for hair, because when people by the time they actually get to me and realize that all this stuff out there is nonsense and there is a very few number of dermatologists that specialize in things like hair, um, they've tried all of these things and they've really been told that it works, it doesn't work. Then they they have that emotional letdown and then they go, so they don't really believe what anyone says. And that takes a long time to go through all of that with patients and win their trust and then put them on the right track. And um, yeah, but collagen supplements are such a con. And that there's there's some really poor quality studies that are in really poor quality medical journals and they get quoted a lot. And then what they do is they pay one of these like these dodgy doctors that pretend that they're dermatologists when they're not. And um, they pay them and, you know, a few, a few kind of beauty journalists and they, they get, you know, various media coverage, which is really easy to get. It's the easiest thing to, to, to kind of buy beauty PR. And, um, you know, they, they take these quotes and they put them everywhere. And, and consumers are like, yeah, yeah, this works. You know, Davina McCall uses it. Must work. <laughs> so it's very misleading. I, I hope these companies get yeah. taken to court one day, actually. Wow. Wow. Uh, and, and is it fair to say that, for instance, with the collagen, if, you know, most people listening to this, I imagine, are eating probably well-balanced diets, I can't imagine that, obviously, perhaps this is arrogant to me, but I, I can't imagine there are too many people in the Western world that are, for instance, nutrient deficient. So Yeah, it's not, it's not really a thing, being collagen deficient and um, and, and it cause, causing issues um, with, with anything, really. What does work is if you inject collagen in, into the skin, and that's that, that's the whole world of um, dermal fillers. So, so for people who 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 actually want to replace their collagen that they've lost um, as they get older, and there are ways to stimulate. There are there are certain injections that you can inject into the skin to stimulate your own collagen production, and, and that works. But um, but dr- drinking collagen supplements doesn't do anything. And let me ask you about tanning um if we can mm. to, to kind of tie yeah. off the skin before we perhaps have a chat about here where i was based in uh south wales you know there was a joke that on every street corner there was either a gym or a or a tan bed salon and um i went on this this morning to this sunbed association dot sunbed association dot org dot uk and they say what are the benefits this was in their faq section what are the benefits of using a sunbed? Sunbeds offer a controlled way to tan and can provide appropriate levels of UV to ensure sufficient levels of vitamin D are achieved and maintained. With a sunbed, a tanning program can be developed to ensure skin type and the type of sunbed you use are taken into consideration to ensure that overexposure, including the possibility of burning, is avoided. And then they say, is it true that there is no such thing as a safe tan? No. Tan skin protects against sunburn, thought to be the main cause of melanoma. If you avoid getting sunburned, the benefits of moderate sun exposure, see vitamin D section, will far outweigh any risks. What are your kind of thoughts on that? That's crazy. I can't believe that they that that, that that's allowed to be online. I mean, using a sunbed you know, less than five times in your life, like significantly increases your risk of getting melanoma. And um, 
I have a lot of international patients and when they come here, they're always just like, yeah, tan, you know, tanning beds still exist in this country. They're not banned. And it's just like, it's, 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 it's this thing about regulation. It will affect too many businesses, but yeah, definitely. And melanoma is on the rise as well. So yeah, it, it amazes me. Yeah. It's that's, that's just absolutely crazy. And it's just like, that information is is wrong and also they're increasing people's cancer risks and guising it under the benefit of taking vitamin d yeah i mean you can take supplementation yeah crazy i I would love to kind of because that was something as well for me because like when i was like i had bad acne that was something that i like turned to because like i realized quite quickly that it would like dry my skin out and yeah. and what I've realized now in like later years is that that that's that I have to now be very careful because as you said the risks when I read about it I was like what why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. So we, we you know we do give very controlled um short ways doses short wave doses of light therapy to treat certain skin conditions like psoriasis and eczema. But when it's so controlled. It's very different to tanning booze, um, and you know it's it, it's a medication almost. And you, the UV light as well, does it targets one of the bacteria that's active in acne. So there is some role that light has in in controlling acne, but it has to be very. Um, narrow wavelength so um it's still not advisable for patients to go to tanning beds um because because the people who run tanning salons are not knowledgeable about this area um of of photodermatology which is is a very specialized field within dermatology in itself um so yeah that's why people feel feel that and i would love to ask you what is your daily skincare routine? Well, <laughs> I I don't know. I'm terrible. I I I wash in the shower in the morning my face with something very basic, maybe Cetraban cleanser or Cetaphil or Cerave. They're all just a few pounds. You can pick them up anywhere. And I then wear. I never ever go out without a sunblock, but I'll probably just do those two things on a daily basis, and that's it. And then I and I cleanse in the evening as well. Um, but I do. I'm prone to a couple of skin conditions myself, so I do get acne and I do get melasma, which is the hormonal pigmentation that that. Um, everyone with my skin color gets as they get older and i i will use prescription skincare um for a few months a year just to t- clear all of that up but yeah uh, but in the intervening because they actually work and actually if you're using a, a skincare serum that actually works why do you need to carry on using it all the time so, so my skin serums that I prescribe my patients, I use them myself, but, you know, I only need to use it for three or four months. The, 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 the condition that I'm treating is being treated. And then you only need, like, maintenance, like maybe once a year or twice a year afterwards. If you're using something that really says it treats acne or treats pigmentation, you don't need to use it forever. So, um, so I, I go through short periods of treat specifically treating specific concerns with prescription items. Yeah. And that sounded like a very, you know, perhaps someone listening to this, they, they may look at you and say, wow, I'm, I'm shocked that because that sounded like such a, a basic routine. And I'd love to ask you there because you mentioned about, for instance, sunblock and you mentioned, you know, you're, you're not leaving the house without it. Someone listening to this yeah. may say, well, I thought I only needed her in the summer. What, what would you say to that? No, you need it all year round because so the the U so you've got UVB and UVA, and then you've got the light that comes from screens, for instance, and it's the UVB which causes skin cancer, 
And the UVA causes skin aging and a lot of pigmentation problems. But that will even come through the windows. And that's also, um, uh, you know, some of the lights that we get from screens can cause those problems as well. So even if on a day like this, if I didn't go out, I'd still wear a sunblock because I'm getting my UVA from the window here. And then I'm getting also damage from the screen. So, so we need protection every day. And yeah, that's the most important thing to do. That's that's why some people who've got really simple skincare regimes have got really great skin, and you talk to them, and it's just like, yeah, but they they're really careful in the sun, and um, you know, I'll always wear sunglasses even in the winter. It's really important to protect the skin around your eyes because that's really difficult to correct without doing surgery. Once you start getting lots of excess you know wrinkly skin around your eyes so it's just best to just protect that skin in the first place by, by wearing sunglasses like wherever you go not at night time of course <laughs> and is it a myth or true that it that bags under your eyes are caused by a lack of sleep um no they're not caused by a lack of sleep it's it's a part of the aging process. So UV light is probably the biggest one. Genetics. Um, sometimes you can get pigmentation, but that's actually relatively um, less common. And then as you get older, the skin can thin. And then what happens is it, it can be quite translucent and the vessels underneath, particularly the veins, can show through. So that that can also cause a lot of the kind of darkening effect that that people get so there's a there's a there's many different things that contribute to the dark circles right right because I, I was always wondering that i thought why, why am i getting these bags under my eyes <laughs> sleeping helps yeah sleeping helps for, for a lot of things that's what I, I find as i get as i got older um i yeah. would love to kind of ask you um about hair now for anyone watching this on youtube they will see you have lovely thick hair and I would love to kind of ask you, do you have any skin in the game, no pun intended, on using natural shampoo versus uh, chemical shampoo? It's just a shampoo. Like, use whatever you like. It's not going to make a difference. There are things that make a difference. Shampoo is not going to make a difference to your hair. What are some of those things that make a difference? So it depends what the issue with your hair is to start with. So what's the diagnosis? What, what you know, it, have people got hair shedding? That's normally caused by stress or being unwell. That will normally pass and, and, and recover back to baseline unless you've got a really strong genetic hormonal age-related hair thinning, in, you know, which is the common type of male-female pattern hair loss. Those conditions have got lots of treatment options. So you can have hair growth tonics that can contain various active ingredients like minoxidil and finasteride and melatonin, sleep hormone, your hair grows when you sleep. Um, and then there are tablet treatments that you can take to make the hair grow and thicken. Um, there are things like PRP, PRF treatments, mesotherapy, which is you come to clinic and you have um, growth factors and, um, you know, anti-testosterone kind of molecules injected into the scalp. They work really well. And then you've got a rarer group of conditions which are autoimmune, inflammatory conditions, which can cause hair loss. And they've got quite specific, um, you know, normally... Um, you know, immunosuppressant type medications, which can be applied topically or orally or by injections to treat those, but they're, they're relatively rare. Um, but it depends on, on, on what the cause is. And none of those conditions we treat with shampoos. And you mentioned too, Badea, that I'm quite interested in finasteride mm. and minoxidil. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, how effective are these, for instance, in terms of, you know, if someone is losing their hair, how effective are they? So minoxidil is uh, an old-fashioned blood pressure tablet. Um, doesn't get used much for blood pressure anymore. Um, things have moved on in that arena, but it's you know they found out in the sixties and seventies that the cardiology patients all had lots of, had their hair growing. So you know it got packaged and <laughs> is, is what we 
we know now as regain is it's good because patients who 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 are at home and don't have access to going to see a dermatologist have got yeah it's easy for them to go to boots and buy some regain and it works one of the negative things about it is that you can get the shedding and that I don't so for instance I don't put my female patients who have got stress related shedding and thinning on minoxidil because it just compounds that shedding and that can be quite stressful for patients but but for some patients it's a very good and effective treatment option the supplement creatine is there any risk to people taking this that it could cause them hair loss yeah i always take my patients off creatinine um i don't think there's any benefit to be on it and um there isn't a clear link that it causes hair loss or um hair loss or shedding but um but i have had a number of patients who've had quite significant shedding on them but they are often on a whole host of other supplements, and and you kind of often have to claw back and and, and into, you know there are really important vitamins for hair, um, and they tend to be things like iron, zinc, B twelve, folate, vitamin D, like the really kind of basic ones, and um, th- those are important. And I think there's a creatinine and biotin is the other one. They definitely don't help. You, you never put patients on, on them and their, their hair kind of grows back or stops shedding. It, it can do the reverse, actually. And they can have other side effects as well. What do you think about people? Because I, I even know a few of these people that they they start, you know, losing the hair and they, for instance, fly out to Turkey to get a, a hair transplant. That's obviously another option that, that kind of people can yeah. take. What have you made of kind of the wave of people doing that? I think it's coming but I don't know I I feel that it's becoming less common now because the medical treatments for treating hair thinning are so much more widely available I mean if you have a hair transplant you've got to be up for looking pretty terrible for like a few quite a few months up to a year afterwards and then it depends on the cause of the hair loss so yes for male pattern hair loss you know it is a treatment option but you also post-transplant you need to look after those hair follicles and you still need to have maintenance treatments um like which is what i've discussed before um you know women particularly who have it and haven't controlled their underlying cause of their hair thinning or hair loss the transplanted hair follicles can also get affected as well so you've got to kind of be quite careful but people with extensive hair loss um that has gone for a long period of time as long as they've got a good donor side it is it is a um it is a treatment option i don't think it looks that natural it depends some transplant surgeons are really you know do, do, do really well but you can also get folliculitis and um you know infections of the sites and you can get you can get scarring you can get keloid scarring and um at the points where they transplant all the hair follicles so it's there are a lot of things to consider it's really expensive as well yeah yeah and i would love to ask you this because this is something i hear about all the time and i I, i'm not too sure what's going on by you if someone has for instance someone they wants to like grow their hair I've heard many a time anecdotally that like what you should do is to get your hair cut. Um, is that true at all? That kind of like getting your hair cut is you know, it, it does good things to your hair. I'm I'm not sure. You hear the same things about shaving. You shouldn't shave here. You shouldn't shave there because it'll grow back thicker. What is going on there? I'm so confused about that. It's good to cut the split ends just to keep it in good condition. It's not going to make it grow longer or quicker um but but yeah i don't i don't really have too much to say about that i think it's neither here or there yeah you're not gonna cutting your hair is gonna make it if if you've got a problem with growing your hair cutting it repeatedly isn't gonna or make it shorter 
that it will make it look nicer. It will make it look healthier because you don't have those split ends at the bottom. So, in terms of the hair, what would be some of the lifestyle factors that perhaps people could be doing daily? I and mean, we talked a little bit about about shampoo and whatnot. Um, what what are some of the things that perhaps people could be doing every day that could be destroying their hair? Definitely heat treating, so blow drying. Um, that can massively damage your hair. And if, so, so women with hair thinning and hair loss will often wash and blow dry their hair every day to make it look kind of acceptable for them to go out. And it it really, really I, I used to do it. I used to straighten my hair and blow dry it all the time. And um, and patients ask me, they're the ones that have known me for a long time, my hair's probably doubled in thickness over the last couple of years. And it's because I just started taking my own advice. I don't actually take any medication or use any treatments. I just stop blow drying my hair. And it's a funny thing because the younger generation are a lot more happier to have their natural hair um, how they are and there's a cultural thing with that as well and and people with darker skin types can get a really um nasty scarring type of hair loss from the chemical and heat related treatments that they do and there's been a huge acceptance in the younger generation of for women to accept their natural hair type and it's so much better for the hair and then you've got kind of my generation and above who feel like they're walking around half naked without having their hair blow dried or straightened so I explained to my patients that actually by blow drying our hair, it's making us look older. So you've just got to embrace our kind of God-given gifts and just, you know, keep the blow dries for special occasions. And um, it, will, it, it doesn't make the hair grow. By, 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 if, you, if, if you stop doing all these heat chemical relations. It won't make your hair grow and it won't make it thicker, but the actual hair shaft will be much healthier. So it, it makes a big difference. And how often per week would you say that like you are like washing your hair? I never thought I'd ever find myself asking someone this question, but I, <laughs> but there we go. <laughs> so it used to be every day I had really, you know, really damaged my hair. Now I'd probably do it a couple of times a week and I try and get my patients to if they could try and wash their hair not too frequently maybe once or twice a week is ideal because also if you if you wash your hair too often you're stripping the oil from the scalp and then your scalp the sebaceous glands in the scalp start producing even more oil and then it gets greasy really quickly and it's it's a vicious cycle I love it I love it I think we've covered so so much ground today Tell these guys where they can connect with you, what you would love our audience to check out, and tell us where we can connect with you and get the amazing work that you are doing. Um, okay, so um, my NHS post is at UCLH. Um, my private practice is in Harley Street, and I, I guess it would be my website, wouldn't it? But I, I don't know if you'll put that in, you know, it's, www.ophelia.com yeah just but yeah i have a really great secretary she sorts everything out for me <laughs> uh, the last question that we finish off all of our podcasts with that is not related to the skin or hair although maybe it might be i'm not sure is what makes a life worth living for dr ophelia oh, uh, my kids i've got a 10 and an 8 year old <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the to come on the show. You know, it's always great to speak to people that are, um, you know, evidence based. And clearly, in this industry, there's so many snake oil salesmen. And I really, really think that we covered so much ground today that people are going to just find really valuable. So I, I really thank you for taking the time for coming on for agreeing to do this. And uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure. No, yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. 